Welcome to TFT. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Ryan, I just want to go back to the way it was. Matt, if you're wondering about the shape I'm in, I hope it's not my abdomen that you're referring to. All right. <laughs> just, you know, I, I love that's you. all. Half naked and glistening in that video you released ten years ago. I know, but that's we're like we're we're in a different time now. All right, <laughs> I'm not just a piece of meat. Um, I'm not a piece of podcast meat. <laughs> I'm Matt. That's Ryan, and that's Josh. Hey, Josh. Hello. Uh, I will never never betray my heart. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, also, I had to audible because Ryan took the one that I was going to use. <laughs> Josh Gondelman is co-creator of Modern Seinfeld on Twitter and writes for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and is a great lover of D'Angelo. And it was a series of tweets that you, Josh, tweeted in advance of the release of Black Messiah and during the release of Black Messiah. I suppose as you were listening to it for the first time, you were also tweeting as you went through it that led us to invite you onto the episode. So we're very glad to have you here as a guest to discuss D'Angelo and the Vanguard's Black Messiah, the long-awaited, long, long, long-awaited, more than a decade-awaited studio album follow-up from D'Angelo. So it's available, uh, D'Angelo Beyonce'd it. It just appeared on... What was it? The it, for, uh, it was like 11.30 p.m. Eastern on the 14th. It was Sunday night. Were you forewarned? I had a little forewarning. I had um, actually the single came out that the night before, uh, Sugar Daddy, which is great. And I was like, oh, I'm very excited for this album. And then I saw that it was supposed to drop on Tuesday. And then I heard maybe Monday. And then I think someone that I work with texted me and was like, have you heard the new D'Angelo? And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. Can't wait for the album. She was like, it's coming out at midnight tonight. And then that became kind of the focal point of my evening was like getting home in time to uh, watch. I think I watched the end of the Sunday night football game and then uh, downloaded D'Angelo and just listened to it. uh, Listened to Black Messiah one and a half times through before I went to bed at like 1.30. So it's good. Like, so Back to the Future Part One is what basically set you off to Dreamland that night. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very gentle, um, and very. It was. It's like a very lush album that you can kind of like melt into. And so it was good. It's good for not sleeping, but in addition, it's good for sleeping. It's on all the streaming services, right? It wasn't sort of like Beyonce, where it was a. Uh, it was just on a particular set of. Uh, it was just on a particular set of service on Apple, I guess the only one. So you can get it on Spotify. We're going to put, yeah. we're going to put a playlist in the show notes for this episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, it's 12 songs long. So it's on the longer side for an album that we cover, uh, on this show. Um, but, uh, it's, you can listen to the whole thing in less than an hour. Uh, go listen to it and meet us back here, uh, after this message from our sponsor. Have you betrayed your heart? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll never do that. Oh, yes, you got me. I betrayed my heart. Listen, then all you really need to do is just go into hiding. (laughs) Airbnb. (laughs) Where to go into hiding for about 12 to 15 years if you betrayed your heart. Um, it's difficult to get a handle uh, on this. We're back, by the way. It's difficult to get a, it's difficult to get a handle on on where to do the fake ad in this in this record, right? Because it's sort of not uh, well. Because it's 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 maybe a little difficult to get to get your hooks into in terms of its its larger meanings and themes. So, Ryan, let me ask you a question. Is this just for me, or it's, it's well? No, it's for Josh also. I, I don't want to alienate nope, and confound. I refuse our, to answer it now. <laughs> I don't want to alienate and confound our our honored guest. But but Ryan and Josh, I want to ask you something. This this D'Angelo record, this Black Messiah, uh, you know, with its funk and its neo soul groove and its uh, blending of all kinds of uh, all kinds of influences, with its you know a range of reference and with its uh, you know various kinds of awesome grooves. Is this mood music? Uh, yeah, if, you, if by mood music you mean the mood of our troubled nation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess 
to answer the question with a question, what do you mean by mood music? Well, I, you know, it strikes me that there are, like, I'm going to propose that there are two kinds of music, right? There's, there's sustained attention music, there's careful close attention music, and then there's, like, uh, wave of sound, like, wave of sound ambient um, sort of atmospheric music, right? And, uh, and I guess I guess I'm asking, do you think that this re- that typology does justice to this record, and uh, where you would put it in that in that dichotomy that I propose? Um, I mean, my take, and, and Josh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this sure. too. Uh, is my take is that this destroys that false dichotomy um, because on the one hand, it is you know it, it is mood music. It is music that could be. Um, you know, atmospheric. And actually, if you uh, look up mood music on Wikipedia, which uh, I did as you were uh, answering, asking your question, as, as, as you were explaining, some of the synonyms for mood music were beautiful music, easy listening, exotica, light music, and lounge music. Um, and there are ways in which you could imagine songs from this um, playing in a kind of loungy setting or, or kind of a, a, a and setting some kind of an atmosphere. Um, and it's, and, but, that said, um, that this is also an album that really rewards sitting down with the lyric sheet, uh, sitting down uh, with Rap Genius Open uh, or whatever your lyric side of choice is. Um, and, you know, as you dig in, it's uh, that um, there's actually a lot of reward there as you kind of parse the lyrics and parse the multi-layered vocals. Um, and and the um, listening becomes decidedly less easy. <laughs> uh, but I think rewards kind of the... Um, so there's there's uh, you can both enjoy it on both levels. So the answer is yes and no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think mood music as like a descriptor is kind of a euphemism for boring music. So even though like it literally applies to this record as is as it is a, an album that sets either a mood or a series of specific moods, it's very evocative. You can listen to it in the background and and experience have a very full experience of it that way without paying attention to the lyrics and the nuances. I think that like when you say mood music, I feel like kind of something kind of mushy and easy listening, uh, that you don't, that there, there are no greater pleasures or greater nuances to discern. And I feel like with this album, there certainly are. And like every once in a while, I mean, I've been, I've had it, excuse me, excuse me. I've had black Messiah on almost on loop for like, since it came out, it's almost a week and a half at this point. (laughs) And, uh, I feel like every time kind of a lyric floats up to the surface, a new time, I'm like, Oh, I just, this just turned my understanding of this song and this album, you know, 10 degrees one way or another. And it's really rewarding that way. And I definitely, I think mood music is like kind of a glib, uh, gentle way to say, uh, music that doesn't have, uh, that element. Sure. And the, the, like mood music being the sort of the equivalent of, you know, the paintings on the wall in a hotel room or something like that. For you know? sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Paintings on the wall of a hotel room or, uh, yeah. Or the music that you hear elevator music. Sure. Like and this is, music, cer- music. yeah, Muzak, right. And this is Muzak. certainly, this is certainly not that, but I'm taken with something specific in your description, which is that lyrics kind of float up to you. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that sort of just cashing that image out. That means there is kind of like, like a cloud, right? The music is sort of a cloud of various different kinds of elements, and occasionally one will one will present itself based on your attention or your environment or your uh, experience of it, right? So there is. I mean, I, I think I can be forgiven for asking the question, though I, I foresaw your your and Ryan's answer. Um, no, totally, because there is this sense there is this sense of a kind of a, there is this sense of a kind of cloud or of a kind of amorphous um uh amorphous element uh to it and and like it 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 both it both works on that level and works on the level of of sustained attention right there's something else that i think of when I, when i when when i hear mood music is music to set a mood and like specifically to set a sexy mood yeah um, totally 
And and I think that that is – and so I wouldn't um, call D'Angelo's uh, previous album uh, Voodoo. I wouldn't call it mood music in the dismissive uh, sense, uh, in the mu- Muzak sense uh, as well, although it could be possibly more of, more of that. But it's definitely music that – I mean there are teenagers. There are many teenagers walking around now who were conceived to Voodoo, right? Um, and I don't know. There may be – I mean in another 15 years, there may be um, Black Messiah. Uh, teenagers, but they are going to be like the revolutionary vanguard of um, you know of of 2030, uh, and, and right. So the, I think the mood that is setting, and I was saying this uh, earlier, uh, is um, you know that if the, the D'Angelo's music is related to mood music, it's related to setting moods. But I think that there are different moods that are being set on um, and just comparing um, this record with uh, with Voodoo. Sure. Totally. And I, I'm uh, interested, jump it, taking that and then going back just a little bit. I, I think um, in when I say floating, that's so interesting that you pictured a cloud because I feel I was picturing kind of like a, um, a vast ocean or huh. like some kind of uh, a swamp. Because to me, like there's def- at least the song A Thousand Deaths is like very defiant of the mood of a lot of the rest of the album. And it's interesting that that's the second song on the album, because you kind of get the feeling from uh, Ain't That Easy, right? You're like, oh, I know what this is. And then the second song hits, and you're like, oh, different beast. And uh, I think that's exciting. And, uh, and, and like, there's kind of a murk there, and you have to kind of pick it out, uh, pick out the lyrics through the murk. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, you mean sonically, there's a murk there, as well as sort of thematically, right? There's, there's sort of murky elements. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I noticed that as well. And actually, I mean, a thousand deaths, especially, um, was one that I I really didn't get at all until I sat down with the lyric sheet. Like so mm-hmm. that, and so for um, you know to kind of continue with this this metaphor, I, I actually also was thinking more aquatic uh, as well. I mean, I guess I was kind of thinking about like. I don't know. When I was a kid, I saw um, a lot of the uh, like. I went to the science museum and saw like a film on the on Robert Ballard's uh, deep sea explorations, mm-hmm. uh, and and I felt like and right and I just remember the image of these like vessels kind of going through the murk, uh, and then like you know and and uh, a light shining and illuminating like a fish or a piece of wreckage uh, or something. And so I think that um, there's a mix in in listening to this album of some things that are drift up. And and, you know, whether it's a driftwood or something that's going past your kind of field of understanding, but a thousand depths, especially, uh, like I actually did not really get the lyrics at all. Um, until I um, until I sat down and uh, engaged with them, um, and so uh, and, and and like I'm like and I was like oh oh shit this is totally different because because the, there the vocals are really it's uh, on the whole album uh, it, it's probably the most deeply submerged of all uh, all of the lyrics definitely especially until you get to that bridge at the end uh, where you it's a little more audible where the part about a coward dies a thousand deaths that lyric and the and after that um and i think that yeah so it, it definitely is that feeling of there's like a heaviness to to the song that continues pervasively but then there's like a little relief with that bridge yeah i think that's um i think that's right um i mean i guess i, I taking a, another step back um because we're, we're talking uh I, I actually want to um I, I was talking about voodoo before and um you know not to totally compare and contrast but i think that there is i mean i guess for anyone who is excited was excited about this album coming out i assume that that's in part because of like the long shadow cast by voodoo um and by you know i think specifically like the music video for um for how does it feel um and, and on our kind of collective conscience um and i don't know i mean i like i and and but maybe not i mean you know josh given that you were so excited about this album coming out was it that um was it specifically that album uh or the the prior one or what was it that kind of cued that up and how did your expectations shift as you kind of started engaging with black messiah to me it was a lot i mean I'm not as well versed in voodoo front to back. I know scattered songs very well, and I I 
love all the ones that I know. But it's just, I, I guess since Voodoo, there's been like this mythology surrounding D'Angelo, and then there's there was like this long simmering period where people kind of wondered whether uh, he was going to come back into into the public view. And just hearing and reading a lot of stuff that Questlove has had to say about D'Angelo um, as like kind of the uh, uh, such a prominent, brilliant, genius musician. And so when the when it came on all of a sudden, I got really excited. Like, uh, I loved the single when it came out, and then the rest of the album is, like, somehow a step above that, even. And it's so... Uh, so I, it, it be, my excitement spiked very quickly and then was immediately rewarded with a great album. Right, and I think that and that makes it... Um, and I experienced something somewhat uh, similar, but, you know, for me, and uh, I think I told you this when I invited you on the show, it was actually from your Twitter is how I learned about it. So there was, like, these ripples uh, of, of excitement that kind of, like, moved throughout social media, uh, which... And, and, uh, and that's even a little different, too, like the social phenomenon of the Beyonce drop, which was even more of this total sneak attack, right? Where Definitely. it was just, all of a sudden, it just shows up. Uh, and And like fully formed whereas um you know we feel like it's coming from like d'angelo we saw slight warning signs but had no idea like given the seclusion and given kind of um you know even some of the you know jokes about uh you know about his body and about his body image uh and about just kind of his reclusiveness that it in some ways this coming fully formed and being just so i mean just even you know the uh the the album cover like just and then the title like everything about it is like oh this is like this is not fucking around like I, like you, like i mean and uh and and uh and it doesn't disappoint right it like you know it goes from like having zero expectations to then kind of hearing the title and seeing the cover and being like oh i kind of have high expectations and then it still blows those expectations out of the water <laughs> It's amazing to me that kind of the two touchstones, right, are Beyonce's middle-of-the-night record drop that became a huge thing immediately. Um, And people were excited. I mean, were excited listening to it, watching the videos, and, like, had fully digested the album before morning, which is amazing. And that was on a Friday, maybe. Um, And then the other one is on the other side of the spectrum, you get, like, the Guns N' Roses Chinese democracy comparison of waiting over a decade uh, to release an album and people being um, unsure of what they were going to get. And I feel like there there was no... It, it was amazing, and everyone has said this, this isn't a new idea, it was amazing that an album that took 14 years to percolate was released... And feels not only it it doesn't feel like it was from the last fourteen years. It feels like it was made all in one day yesterday, uh, but with the wisdom of like the entire history of contemporary black music. Yeah, I mean that's actually like that actually cues a question. If I was going to ask a an introductory question, um, and, and I'll just ask it now, it was. You know when when is this album from right when does this exist um and i'd like to open that to you guys because i think that it's not, the answer is not obvious um and, and and so yeah when when is black messiah <laughs> well it's it's sort of i mean it's it's now i mean it's now and then or i mean another way to put that question is um hey hey what is going on you know right like uh <laughs> uh the 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 no seriously guys what is going on yeah. right <laughs> um, the the it, uh, right because it seems to have its its I don't know it seems to have its its heart with like some of the classic protest records and yet it's very I mean it's very contemporary um, in its outlook and some of its in some of its thematic concerns yeah I think the the politics. And the uh, and the sound, like just how it was engineered, sound very contemporary, and they sound like they're commenting on right now. Which I mean, unfortunately, obviously, is like partly because these are issues that have existed for decades politically and haven't gone away. Um, 
but it, it feels super contemporary, but also like it's been steeping for a really long time. And then, which incidentally is how a lot of the songs sound. There's kind of like a, a simmering and then a crystallizing towards the end where it, you know, where a big build, uh, and then the lyrics become clearer and the music becomes bigger and there's a bigger hook that you don't get repeating. It's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's kind of like, Verse, 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 and then explosion. That's like really beautiful. And so I think it it doesn't feel. I don't think you can peg it to like it is. You you. It's not a nostalgia record, although it has, or a retro record, even though it has elements of Sly and the Family Stone and a classic protest song uh, that you would associate with like a Marvin Gaye. But it's. I feel like it. You have to locate it right now. Because specifically, um, because it it has all those elements from like you know decades ago until the present, so you have to kind of pin it to the most recent element that appears <laughs> <laughs> because it couldn't exist just in the seventies. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, and that there is um, you know that there is both. Uh, uh, you know, there are, like you're saying, Josh, uh, touchstones of classic funk and classic soul music, but then there are elements of, um, you know, just some of the, the vocals, especially, and the multi-layered vocals or the distortion in the vocals that actually remind me of things that come out of, you know, various strands of experimental, like, noise music and, like, um, and, and indie rock and, you know, layering that could, you know, exist on an Animal Collective album uh, or on, um, you know, from, you know, da- some of the pitch modulation by, like, Dan Deacon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of like really out there stuff going on uh, in the vocals that um, you know fuses you know music that's kind of coming from um, you know independent, independent and uh, underground um, rock and, and kind of art musics and the like you know the black musical tradition uh, and uh, which is is really striking. Um, and then similarly, uh, I read an interview. Um, on, uh, I think it was on Billboard magazine uh, with uh, the engineer of the record, uh, Russell Elevado, uh, uh, um, and he talks about how he uses Pro Tools, right? He uses um, computers, but then um, like exports individual tracks and then does a lot of effects uh, analog, right? So there's this like um, both engagement with um, you know, contemporary recording technology and production technology, but then at the same time, a a, a very deliberate uh, engagement with um, older technologies as uh, um, you know, as a way to both not just even add this kind of authenticity or a period piece, but as um, part of a kind of more like modern. Um, collage or or like brickle like a bricolage or mashup, sure. uh, which it, I think is really striking in the way that it sounds. I also think we can't help but hear it in the context. I mean, in the context that we hear it in, right? Like, and it it just so happens, and this isn't this is a, a sort of coincidence of the timing, but it just so happens that there has been a lot of stuff in the news about like uh, urban race relations, and without engaging those specific issues, right? I think that uh, I think that we can say that it's it's sort of in the culture right now and also things like marches and protests right like physical uh physical acts of protest and and things like this are are back in the culture right are very current and like the idea of sort of taking you know taking to the streets um in this in this in a way that in a way that kind of reminds me of social protest in the 60s right and not of uh, not of like social media inflected social protest. You know what I mean? Like that, that there's a kind of analog quality. Uh, there's a kind of analog quality in the society, um, just in the culture right now and in the kind of the varieties of social protest, which are at this very moment, um, current. And so I think that that, I mean, I think that that mix Right of of sort of classic classic protest classic protest records and uh, modern modern production also sort of seems to mirror the the marriage um, the sort of unhappy marriage of contemporary political problems and sort of analog analog means of uh, analog means of of social protest that is current at the moment. 
I don't think necessarily that it's coincidental. I mean, it really feels like because we didn't get the promo cycle for an album, you know, we didn't get uh, a bunch of interviews and preemptive think pieces by people who were seeded uh, the album early. And we got one track the day before and or the day of maybe even. And then we got the album. So it felt almost like and maybe this is being uh, overly generous and overly optimistic, but it really felt like the baby wants to be born now. And like the album kind of brought itself into like the political climate and the point at which the readiness of the music was brought the, this record into labor at at a point. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I meant coincidental in the sense of it coincided, right? Uh, Oh, sure. Yeah. Coincidental, but very deliberate. Right. Right. Uh, There's a simultaneous, a deliberate, simultaneity of like it this record had something to say about the the american condition and and then that condition just it came to the forefront of the entire public's consciousness and really and really sort of goes to goes to that that sort of idea of artist as profit right um you know, especially especially in like protest music, especially in sort of uh, culturally engaged music, as as the artist is like seer or truth teller, um, in a way that you know connects to the connects to the title of the record and connects to a long uh, a long long line of of protest records that you know that that we could name. Yeah, and I wanted to say, I mean, and it's striking that, like, um, you know, the most commonly quoted lyric from the album in, like, every review that I've read and every news story that I've read is from the chorus of the charade, right? Um, And it's specifically Mm -hmm. the uh, couplet of, all we wanted was a chance to talk, Uh, instead we've only got uh, outlined in chalk. Um, But I think what's really interesting is that what comes right before that in the first verse, um, the immediate couplet before that is, all the dreamers have gone to the side of the road which we relay, which we relay on, inundated by by media, virtual mind fucks in streams, um, and I think that um, that these uh, so in some ways like you know while the chorus line and the chorus couplet you know, really kind of hones in on a lot of uh, the discourse and kind of the, the resonance with um, what's going on in America and the world right now. I think that um, the the verse links to what you were saying, uh, Matt, and what both of you guys were saying about how this is linking to, you know, actually not just, you know, a mood and, and events, but like emerging social movements and kind of, um, you know, collective action that is happening uh, and, and a feeling of kind of, you know, whether it's b- being fueled by or related to kind of media and social media or something that is is uh, analog and is kind of um, itself a th- throwback or kind of reincorporation of older forms of, you know, contestation and, you know, community community engagement. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I'm just because we're looking at at the lyrics to this particular song, right? The first uh, the first line is crawling through a systematic maze, uh, right? Um, the idea of uh, the idea of sort of uh, systemic or sort of uh, cultural cultural level um, constraints on agency is something that we have talked a lot about on this podcast, and and that you know kind of remains a. Uh, you know, a uh, sort of area of kind of intense interest and exploration, uh, exploration for us, right? We talked about, um, you know, I don't know, uh, in the, we talked about uh, Run the Jewels a couple weeks ago, and it seems like, uh, it seems like the, um, the, the Run the Jewels answer to like being stuck in the systematic maze, right, is to take your gun and your fist and to shoot your way out or punch your way out, right? Like, um, the, the, you know, the, um, the result to sort of in, entrenched, uh, you know, social injustice is to become uh, more unjust even than than the society, or sort of harder than the harder than the society. And it seems like there's there's in this record there's a, a slightly more nuanced answer, right? Like we're all rats in the systematic maze. Uh, what what do we do? I mean, do, do do you feel like Black Messiah has Black Messiah has an answer? Or proposes, I mean, proposes a set of, uh, you know, uh, proposes a set of potential solutions. 
I can think, I can think of one and it's in, I mean, I can think of one and it's in the title, right? Like, uh, it's the, the answer is sort of the black, right. The black Messiah. Right. And if you think of like the second coming and like inaugurating or, or the, the coming of the Messiah and kind of like inaugurating this like spiritually important, uh, reign, inaugurating like an era of, of peace and of peace and justice. Uh, did you read? Did you read the little companion piece that came? I don't remember where it was. Gosh, it, and I think it ended or near the end was like, we are all black Messiah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? There are like two paragraphs. Um, I'm holding, I'm, I'm Skyping over my phone, so I can't, um, I'm not especially effective at looking it up, but there was like a little preamble that came out with the album. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I've, uh, I have, I have both of my hands free, so uh, I'm running point on this one. And I think the <laughs> quote that you're uh, talking about is, uh, and I think this is from the um, the liner notes where he says that uh, the title is about the world. Uh, and I quote: "It's a an idea that we can all aspire to. We should all aspire to be a black messiah. It's about people rising up in Ferguson and in Egypt and in Occupy Wall Street and every place, every place where a community has had enough." and decides to make change happen. So the the black messiah is collective action. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, to, uh, yeah, to, to, to at least summarize it. But maybe there's a little more to it than that, right? But it's, it's yeah, what do you think, Josh? Oh, well, I, I mean, I think it's explicitly, well, one thing I think that has gone unsaid so far by the three of us is that this is like the widest possible conversation about this album, uh, just by virtue of the demographic of who's participating in it. Um, we could so probably, we could probably get whiter. I mean, we could probably <laughs> try. I'll bet we could. I don't mean, I don't even mean verbally. I just mean like, um, who, who we are. Cause I don't, I hate the, the, um, the idea that like academically discussing things is white, but I just mean like for white people to be talking about this album is like essentially an interesting thing. And the, the idea we are all black Messiah, right? Like we are all the black Messiah. Like, is that us too is an interesting question for me to think about. And I think explicitly, it, 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 with the um with those liner notes it's kind of yes right like it's kind of an invitation for people from all walks of life and all um ethnic and racial backgrounds to be a part of this greater thing in whatever way is appropriate like to to include egypt and occupy wall street which was a pretty um racially diverse certainly more um Racial, intentionally racially diverse, maybe than the Ferguson protests, are, are is an inclusive, makes Black Messiah an inclusive umbrella term, which is um, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm I like I'm trying to make uh, sense of what it means for my life. Yeah, I think that that's. I mean, I guess you know to to frame it as a question is like, what is a black messiah in that case? Because yeah. like, w- based in the context of that quote, it feels like it is transcending beyond you know a statement about uh, about race or racial Id- racial identification, totally. right? Um, and yeah. but, it, but it also leaves it as kind of an open um, an open question in a way. <laughs> Let me try not to talk around it for once in my life, because I've been—I feel like I've been talking in circles. But this one thing I do think it means is like people are being uh, there is like Black Messiah is in opposition. The the collective Black Messiah is in opposition to the status quo, which in America is whiteness. So I feel like it is any opposition to the white uh, norms that people are kind of squeezed into and encouraged to follow. And so it's, it's, it's it, like, I could not declare myself like, I, Hey, I'm black Messiah. And they're like, mm, uh, no, but like for the kind of the, the umbrella to be extended by spiritually by this record is like an interesting thing to say, like we want every kind of person that opposes systems of power 
but it's not you. You're not, it's not like you white people against other white people. It's like this other force opposing this um, blanket whiteness is it, what it was, how I'm parsing it. So like, it's, it's like Ello, right? It's an invitation only social network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's depressing. Cause what, what you mean uh, to say then is that in two weeks, no one will care about black Messiah. <laughs> that is, that is maybe the datedest joke I've ever heard because it's the moment in history where Ello existed and was in the like, I I don't even think my parents have have heard of Ello or will ever hear of it. <laughs> right, but they will probably they will certainly hear of Black Messiah. Um, well, so uh, well, I'm going to make them listen to it on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but the, so so I I mean I have some thoughts about the about what what is the black what is the blackness of of Black Messiah right and it's it's sort of racial blackness but I think it's it's also an 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 opposite of socially constructed whiteness, right? And and the idea that I there was a, an interesting article a while ago uh, by Kella Fasana about whiteness and about the idea of whiteness and whiteness as being like a kind of notional purity that even one drop of of another thing can ruin, right? Like you're not, you know. Uh, uh, people who are like uh, half of one ethnic group don't describe themselves as half wo- half white, you know, right? They describe themselves as as half of the non quote unquote white uh, ethnic group, and so there's this sort of like there's this hypothesized uh, constructed purity, and it. Uh, and I think it's against – I think that, that one way to read black – the blackness of Black Messiah is uh, in addition to the like the, the, the you know, racial blackness of African Americans and their tradition um, is that it's, it's kind of a rejection of the – it's a rejection of the politics of, of purity, right? It's a, it's a rejection of the – you know, it's a sort of very broadly humanistic – um, it's a very broadly humanistic sort of hand being extended, you know, out in all directions that can be, um, uh, you know what I mean? That can be sort of taken, uh, by, by the people who listen to the music and are, are moved by it. And in that, I mean, in that sense, I think it's a really, in that sense, I, I don't know. I think it's a really sort of, I think it's a really powerful, it's a really powerful statement because it doesn't just it doesn't just um, re- reflect or repudiate one particular instance of uh, of you know injustice or oppression or or of like a so- of social problem right it it rejects the foundation on which uh, on which all of that is is predicated. Yeah, I think that's a good way to to view it, and I think that it also extends to um, like the sound of the album, huh. um, and and uh, in that, um, and it gets back to what we we're saying is the, the ways in which this is not just a retro or throwback album, or a kind of a classical soul album or funk album, but it is um, in terms of genre and influence, um, really omnivorous and really, um, really just like uh, aggressively. Uh, hybridizes and brings in a lot of different um genres and the different uh sounds and i mean i think two that really jump out as being kind of markers of being very um uh, of, of of kind of how um it brings in so many different influences is uh the door which is the song that is like um almost like a country has country influences and uh like the whistling intro uh and outro um yeah and then the, yeah, and then another that sonically is interesting. We could e- go down either of these roads or others uh, as interest is um, is prayer. Uh, and what strikes me about prayer sonically is the um, there's a, a someone is playing uh, the chimes like a a um, like a hammered. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure because I'm a percussionist, uh, and one of the things I I was not ever never good at the non pure like any of the tonal percussion instruments like marimbas or xylophones. But the only one I was ever allowed to play were the chimes, uh, which are like these tubular bells that are set up on a stand. Uh, um, The tubular bells, yeah. Yeah, and 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 that you um, hit the the top of it with a mallet and it sustains, and that there's this sustaining um, uh, hit throughout prayer. Uh, it's it's about every three measures or so. Uh, And when I first heard it. 
it, it, it kind of blew my mind because it was like I actually thought like that there was like a clock tower that was going off somewhere in my neighborhood uh, or something like that because it felt like it both like wove in with the sonics but also was kind of outside of it um, and, you know because it was a the instrumentation was is so different right it's played in concert bands or, or in churches um, and I guess it's appropriate in a song called prayer. The, um, you know, I mean, can can I even rewind us a little farther talking sonically before we get into those and talking about the first moment, uh, right? The first moment of sound on the whole on the whole album because it it uh, just because it's been something that we've talked about where really strong or path breaking moments in pop and rock and and R and B will have. Um, we'll have like a very strong statement right at the, right at the outset. And I'm wondering what you thought of the first, just the first kind of soundscape that you heard, uh, at the beginning of the first track on the record. Do do you remember it? Does it have a strong, do you have a strong impression of it? Yeah, it, I mean, I couldn't describe it actively, but it, it, it's not melodic Nope, and it's, What's that? Sorry. Yeah, no, it's not. Not at all. It, but it, it yields very quickly to, like, a very um, accessible groove. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of like, all right, listen up. And then you're – it's like the experience of the whole album is that it's like, okay, pay attention. You have to pay attention. This isn't – I'm not, we're not going to spell it out for you. And then very quickly you are given – pleasure and enjoyment as well but it's like very um i mean the hacky way to do it is like the uh needle dropping on wax right that sound effect that you hear and it's like yeah okay we get it it's old school you know what i mean like i feel like that effect at the beginning of a record or a track has been done and done and done and this is like a an outside the box way of achieving the same effect of like okay we're we're getting started you have to listen. Yeah, let it, let's go. I mean, it, it almost feels to me like um like a machine starting to rev up, right? It has this herky yeah. uh quality that's dun, 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 right, and so it's it's that, and there are these jerky movements that then, as you say, Josh, just becomes a groove almost before you realize it, right? Then it's like, whoa, 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 what's happening, right? I was just listening, I was trying to get a sense of the rhythm, and all of a sudden, it was it's all around me. So the um, the my like my specific impression listening to the first five or five or ten seconds was that i was listening to like a documentary sound of a cityscape or something oh. right and then and then i realized that all the sounds were being made by musical instruments and not by uh, not by stuff that you'd hear in a not by stuff that you'd hear in a city right there was sort of a background thrum and there was some kind of like uh mid-rangey sort of thing that almost sounded like an engine and then like a high higher pitched kind of thing that almost to me sounded like a distant siren or something like that um and then i realized no 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 i'm wrong you know this is not this is not that this is a this is all being done by by instruments and and then the groove and then the groove started and we were sort of off to the races in in the album i mean that's just how i sort of allegorized it uh myself a little a little bit and there was a lot there was a lot to me in that like one is like the theatricality of sort of creating a soundscape uh that could be like representational and also could be abstract and is sort of both at the same time uh there was a sense of like um you know there was a sense of of uh of like reality and unreality to it there was a sense of sort of um you know of being in the city and kind of being in the art artist's studio right at the same time you know it's a it's a very like highbrow moment i feel like it's like so it's almost it feels like the funk soul band equivalent of letting you hear the orchestra uh tune up. Right. You know, like at the totally. beginning of a symphony. And it's I think that's like a very um but it doesn't feel I don't know. To put an orchestra tuning up on a record feels almost like like a shortcut, you know, to be like, ooh, and then the symphony starts. And it's like, but this is, it's just, it feels like part of the organic process of the 
song starting you know yeah it's like organically meta right <laughs> um, yeah that- exactly organically meta it's like very it, it's a reference to itself it's like here we go right engine revving up symphony stirring to, to music uh but also like it's part of the the lead up to the song in a way that's not just like it's not pointing at it it's not pointing at itself it just is a thing that references itself well, yeah, th- absolutely. Yeah, thank you for uh, in, for indulging me uh, on that little pivot to the to the thing. It was just uh, no, I really like it. Um, it was I was going to say that yeah. it actually. Go ahead. It's, it's just like to close the loop on that. Um, uh, it, that it reminds me. We talked earlier about uh, Marvin Gaye's, or we referenced uh, and alluded to Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." And if I remember correctly, that "What's Going On" starts in a way like that. This almost is a synthesis of how "What's Going On" start because "What's Going On" starts with people talking mm-hmm. on the street uh, and. Then, uh, and then the band comes in, right? And the groove comes in. And this kind of combines them um, and almost makes them switch places in that the, or the, or the orchestra does both of them. Um, yeah, and right. So, it's because, like, the city is the band, you know? The band is the city and the city is the band. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was just my only addition is that and that makes it like so I guess like there's a way right and that it's not that this is neo soul that it's kind of like post soul right in the way that post punk is kind of taking um, some of the concerns of punk uh, and and uh, uh, and then in a kind of self-aware way kind of subverts and twists uh, uh, pieces of them. I think that that's, um, you know, a lot of what is going on here. Uh, like uh, Josh says, is that it does this in almost the most effective way possible. Cause it's not like so self-congratulatory of a, see, check it out, check it out. What I did there. That was like, that was like really amazing. Right. It just fucking does it. And it keeps doing it for like 45 minutes. Uh, and in ways that keep, um, you know, revealing themselves on like, listen after listen. Yeah, it's but it's so interesting because like to say post soul or neo soul like it fe- neo soul excuse me it feels like not genreless but it, it definitely it's like not tidy like you can't like yeah. we were talking about what era it belongs to earlier and it's certainly well I I stand by the thing that I said earlier because I'm stubborn that it's like of right now. Uh, it doesn't sound like the R&B and soul music that's happening right now. And if you were to describe this album to me, I would expect to be disappointed by it. Um, but I love listening to it. That's like the big thing. It, it, it kind of diving back into the sonic, the sonics of the album. If you were to be like, there's kind of like a song that's a little bit more country with some whistling and clapping, and it kind of weaves in and out of lucidity lyrically and... Uh, the end there are like these deep grooves that don't resolve themselves uh for several minutes at a time i i would be like are are you describing like a fish live album (laughs) Uh, and but it's like so enjoyable in the same way and this is like a very pretentious thing to say like if you if you described something like the movie adaptation to in its component parts it sounds very heady, but then you kind of get into the pleasure of it, and it's very, like, visceral. And this is a visceral album as much as it is, like, constructed and intellectual. Sure. I mean, we, we sort of talk about strong misreadings of tradition, and I think this has elements of – I think this has elements of that. Like, and, and as opposed to sort of genre, it's kind of sui generis and, uh, uh, you know, and, and will probably inaugurate – uh, a tradition, right? Like, and spawn imitators, you know? Uh, it might. I mean, it's like the its closest progenitor is D'Angelo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like someone else, they, people had 14 years to make this album. Because the one complaint <laughs> I've heard about Black Messiah is that someone said that they thought it was not enough of a departure from voodoo. <laughs> so if you're drawing that line directly back to the previous D'Angelo album there were 14 years where someone could have taken that ball and run with it in this direction and nobody did. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of imitators because it's like so ambitious and hard to make. And even the single doesn't sound like a single on on the radio now. And it's just, it's like, so um, 
it's and it's an album album it's like not what the industry is doing it's like every i mean every six weeks people are declaring the album dead or the album alive but like this is an album and you listen to it front to back and you it's not a collection of singles it's not and no offense to collections of singles which i also think are lovely but it's not uh blank space shake it off you know what i mean it's like uh an hour-long suite of songs that flow into each other uh, even though they all stand alone and sound different, but it's like very, um, I don't see this becoming a trend. It's just like, so, cause there are only like a few artists that can do it in a way that's worth listening to. Sure. It's because it's high quality, right? Like I don't, I, I don't see high quality becoming a trend either in any, right, 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 right. <laughs> in like any watching, art. <laughs> it's like watching Michael Jordan dunk from the free throw line, right. In the dunk contest and being like, Dunking from the free throw line is about to come into style. <laughs> You're like, no, this is the guy that could do it. Like, it's awesome, and everyone would do it all the time if they could. Sure, uh, but I don't think people can. I, I'm, I'm stuck on uh, like wanting to hear a song uh, uh, on this album that has an interlude where uh, where the beat comes down and D'Angelo says, uh, "You know, just while you think you've been getting down and out about the liars and the dirty, dirty cheats of the world, you could have been getting down to this sick beat." Like, and I really it's just wish like a <laughs> funk jam for six minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and like, because there are some things that you just can't shake off. Like, some things like stick to you uh, and, uh, and, and can't be just pithily uh, uh, wiped away by, by a sick beat. Uh, but you have mm-hmm. to soak in the, sick, in, in the sickness of the beat. Uh, and yeah, that's what's so. I mean, we, we discussed uh, Taylor Swift and we discussed 1989 um, earlier, uh, earlier this year, or, you know, shortly after it came out. And they are, they, I, I mean, you know, talk, they, they maybe could not be more different. Uh, um, because you know, uh, you know, an alternate t- title for 1989 could be "White Messiah." <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, for real, like she Taylor Swift became like the mascot for what people dubbed and then quickly went away of like basicness, yeah, and and, and like white girlery, and and then there was the whole issue with like the appropriation of the dancing and the shake it off video, yep. and it's like the, it was like if regardless of what it means like the larger significance taylor swift is white and like this is like a black album you know what i mean it's um like just culturally it comes from a totally different like it's a singles album made by a a 25 year old white woman who i feel like is kind of peaking and i don't mean that she's destined for a fall but i mean like she is at her current apex of like notoriety and fame and this is like a long delayed album by a guy who's i believe 40 yeah he's 40 um, and uh who um yeah and i th- i think that it's just like everything about them feels different and and not that one is good and one is bad i don't want to put them on that the good to bad spectrum but certainly like culturally there is such a vast uh chasm and i don't even know i honestly i'm in such an echo chamber where i don't even know if anybody outside of like a hundred people that i follow on twitter have listened to this album black messiah yeah, yeah I, I, it's, a, it's a good question, right? Um, I, I, and in some ways, I mean, that's an interesting question of for an album that we were talking about earlier. It says like we we are all Black Messiah. I guess with that, another way to read that is like if you are reading this message, you are Black Messiah. You are part <laughs> right, of right, the right, Black right. Messiah. No, totally. Um, because like, yeah. there are people. Um, who are certainly not a part of that movement. Yeah. Full stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but I I think you're right. I I was just, I was, I was imagining like a 14 year silence from Taylor Swift and like, you know, odd pictures emerging of her and like her getting arrested and, and her having some like personal troubles and troubles with the law and stuff like that. And then in, in, in 14 years, Taylor Swift comes out with like, you know, 1990 or something. And that it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that it's pretty much, it's pretty, you know, that people are complaining. It's not enough of a departure from 1989. Right. Uh, Right. 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 (laughs) That's, um, 
yeah, it's so funny to put those albums in contrast because to me, I just like culturally and socially, the Taylor Swift album was like, I feel like it dominated my awareness of pop music this year. Like the singles, the, um, the love for people of Taylor Swift. And then I feel like I've really been, um, overwhelmed with black Messiah, but that's like personal preference. And I've been seeking that out. So I'm sure, I'm sure the record sales are not comparable, but I don't even know, you know, how many people are are talking about black Messiah? Is it a hundred thousand at this point that have heard it? I, I, but I feel like it will. One thing about this album is I feel like it will, it will find everyone who wants to hear it and everyone or everyone who wants to hear it will find the album is like the practical way to put it and the less mystical way. Um, do you know what I mean? I feel like everyone that's been waiting for a D'Angelo album or like kind of a, a, um, a long form soul music album will, it's going to come to them. I like, I think a lot, this is like a, a tangent, but I think a lot about the idea of, um, when you get super famous, there's the people, the people that are going to love what you do, right? You'll find more of those people and more of those people will find you. Uh, but also the people that don't love what you do, more of them will find you. And I feel like this, that Black Messiah will, will have a huge, uh, an amazing ratio of people who love it, finding it and people who wouldn't love it, not hearing it and maybe not being aware of it. Whereas Taylor Swift, it's like everyone who loves it is aware of it. And then a ton of people that hate it also know about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually it's it's really interesting. I mean, I I don't know, but it's been out at this point for like a week and a half, which is yeah. like you know forever on the internet, right? Yeah, and 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 I also don't know where it's. Uh, I, I have I have less of a sense of um and of in part because you don't necessarily see this you know taking over uh the radio or or even um like you know these very like viral videos um right that the ways that kind of music is shared and um in in and communicated in kind of bite-sized chunks right that this is a whole this is a whole tasting menu <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and and that and and so that you have to really prepare yourself i mean it's weird it's like you you don't just listen to black Messiah once you either never listen to it or you listen to it for 10 days straight <laughs> yeah I, I mean i really feel ground. that it seems i it seems to me like like no one's gonna hear any song from this album in a walgreens and be like oh this again like why well, can't go anywhere without hearing this like that's an experience that zero people will have um with black messiah and that but it, it's fascinating to me uh because i think a lot about like when things get so uh, big, right? When they when they reach this critical mass, then all of a sudden, it, it happens in every art form. I feel like, and and the the most wonderful place to be is where I think where you have the highest percentage of people that want to experience your art, who are aware of it and have access to it, and then. Uh, and the lowest percentage of people that are going to be turned off by it are having it shoved in their faces. So, like, an example of where that tipped in the wrong direction was, like, I feel, when Conan went from late the Late Show with Conan O'Brien to The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, right? He flipped where there was, like, it, he was a beloved late-night host, and then things went so wrong by by not necessarily any fault of his own but like by putting him in the tonight show spot something something bad happened yeah it's so interesting there's like this indie tipping point right that um and that there's something about you know and and a lot of it gets brought up and discussed in um discussions about selling out but it's not so much about any necessarily um kind of cultural or um like commercial relations and kind of um you know moves to popularity but i think you're absolutely right josh there's something about this ratio of kind of diehards and kind of core supporters to more just like peripherally aware uh and and there's different things that um affect you know both the numerator and the denominator uh there and and i think that um and that D'Angelo's like long seclusion uh, is, is is a big factor. Where a lot of you know people, you know, the moment that he was a part of around the time of Voodoo and around the time of the um, Untitled video, um, 
it, you know, a lot of that has moved on in different ways or just kind of become its own thing um, that then allow this to kind of, um, you know, a lot of the um, other other kinds of awareness have um, have have been stripped away. Um, and so that there it, it, like you say, it hits this sweet spot uh, in, in like kind of hitting a large audience, but not becoming oversaturated or kind of creating and, and, and creating some of the either creative uh, anxieties um, that come along with that uh, or, or whatever. Um, I guess uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, where it goes from here. Right. It's like, you know. It will, like will the next um, D'Angelo album because right it was like five years between um, his first album Run Sugar yeah uh, yeah yeah and and Voodoo and then it was um, uh, what fifteen or, or twelve or fourteen what from two thousand yeah fourteen yeah, yeah. so almost twenty fourteen so that's a ratio of two point eight so if you apply that to our mm-hmm. If you apply that to the current thing, it'll be another 40 years. D'Angelo will be 80 when the next oh, record. Oh, 80-year-old D'Angelo would put out an amazing album. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to wait. But, like, I mean, I'm, 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 it's this interesting question. Like, from the perspective of the ratio, I mean, that, yeah, there's, um, there's, there's a lot of different competing impulses that I have. Because- right. Is there, like, a golden section? Right, exactly. Is there, like, a golden section of album gestation where, like, the next, the next one to be even even more, you know, far reaching, right? Like even more profound and like far, far seeing and path breaking. We'll need that. We'll need that time. Like I'm, I'm interested in a lot of the narratives around D'Angelo, around D'Angelo, the artist, right? Because he's like, there's a, you know, uh, church music moving to to R&B narrative there's a like boy genius you know kind of like boy wonder musical prodigy narrative you know uh th- then there's like a troubled artist kind of narrative and it seems you know it seems tough to pin down like in a single story i mean i guess that's how you know you're dealing with a real you're dealing with someone who's for real right is that they can't they don't reduce to a to a sort of culturally sanctioned um, culturally sanctioned particular particular narrative, but it seems like there are a lot of you know there are a lot. It, it, it reminds me of Mozart a little bit, right? Like in this in the sense of wow. like yeah, well, just in the sense of like troubles, you know, like uh, uh, great you know great achievement at at a very early age, uh, and and the troubles, you know what I mean that can that can arise arise from that. It would certainly be a neater narrative and a more expected one if this album were not good. Right. Right? Like, it would be so... <laughs> it would be like, well, you know, he had the, this brilliance, and that, and then he was destroyed by his fame, and that was all he had in him, and he, he never reached that height of his um, mid-to-late-90s creative and uh, commercial success again. But, like, it is a very, it's like a, a narrative-busting, um, excuse me, uh, occurrence for this, this album to be so good and so well-received and uh, without courting popular success. Like, there's no um, comeback single in the, like, I don't even know if this is a good example, but there's no, like, Kokomo you know what I mean? Like, there's no one song here that that it's going to be like. This is the one that's going to take off and be played at weddings, uh, despite even if people aren't aware of the of his other output at at this time. So it's like a very, it's very, um, uh, uh, it's like we're not used to it. We're not used to fame behaving this way, and we're not used to creativity being put this way. Well, it's funny because Ryan was talking about selling out before, and it struck me like what it what this reminds me of is kind of buying back in, right? Hmm. Like this sort of and and it, it the it's interesting to me that it took. It's not. It it makes sense to me um, that it it take it took 14 years right because i you know uh god willing i will do something one one thousandth uh as successful and well received as as any of of the d'angelo studio albums um 
like, but I can, I can look at that level of success and imagine there must be such a momentum to it, right? Like there must be such a gravitational pull to, uh, to repeating that and kind of getting sucked into a lot of the commodification of it. Um, and that like it, it, it shouldn't be surprising that it takes, 14 years to, to put the brakes on that machine, right? Or to sort of halt and reverse that momentum and to go into a, uh, uh, to go into an artistically more rewarding direction, whatever the, the commercial implications, however lucrative it may or may not end up being. I mean, it strikes me that like a lot of what we're talking about is summed up uh, in um, the lyrics to Back to the Future um, and, and just the title. But also, right, it opens with traveling at the speed of light and then at the same time, I'm in the same spot, too. Um, and then and there's a lot of other things in that first verse. But then the refrain, right, the chorus is I just want to go back, baby, back to the way it was. Um, I used to get real high. Now, now I but now I'm just getting a buzz. Um, and I think that that kind of like relationship of. I mean, there's a lot going on um, in those lyrics that I quoted and kind of the whole song that is about kind of um, there, there's there is this almost uh, creative relativity that's going on, right? That it's it's like uh, in some ways in kind of, uh, you know, this desire to both be um, traveling through time uh, and kind of both experiencing the past and the present at the same time. It's like, you know, like D'Angelo has achieved what uh, Christopher Nolan was trying to achieve with Interstellar, but much more successfully <laughs> it is a very succinct succinct statement of all that like that that one song and uh back to the future and i believe i gosh i read this somewhere i wish i could cite it better but the back to the future part two uh interpolates the guitar line from left and right off of voodoo oh interesting uh, yeah and so it's like oh the, this is and, and also like specifically even the act of releasing an album is going back in time um for you know what i mean like it the the present was like a paucity of d'angelo music (laughs) and so like the past is just like him feeling ready to release music to the public which is amazing like I don't know. I I mean, a lot of it is like we're superimposing all this stuff about creative gestation and popularity, but a lot of it is just like a dude and his feelings and his, like he taught himself how to play the guitar as part of the process of making this album. Like, so it's just like, it's organic is the word we've used and it's a word a lot of people use for certain things. Uh, You know, a lot, it's kind of like a, a, it's a malleable word because you can use it for, kind of whatever you want. Um, but I think it feel there, if this album didn't, if D'Angelo didn't want this album to come out, it, it wouldn't be out. We've seen that, right? Like right. he, D'Angelo became an expert at not putting out albums over the last 14 years. And <laughs> right. right. And he's, so, he's done that for 10,000 hours, right? <laughs> yeah, he, right, right, right. The Malcolm Gladwell, he's perfected it in the Gladwellian sense. Like right. there's nobody that doesn't put out albums like D'Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't, and I, that sounds snarky, but I don't mean it snarkily. Like it's, it would be so easy for this album to not exist. And like, it, maybe if it weren't for um, the protests in, in Missouri and New York and, and Egypt, uh, et cetera, maybe this album wouldn't be out. Maybe there, he wouldn't have felt the urgency of like, oh, my, I, I would like to add my voice to this discussion because um, it didn't have to happen. And so I think so much of it is just about like this guy was ready to do this thing that he'd been working on for years and it was perfect for this moment, which is like a very beautiful and fleeting um, way for art to occur, specifically a um, full length album that got a, a, you know, this kind of release and attention in 2014. Well, I think that's probably as good a place to any to leave our conversation. Uh, if you would like to add your voice to this moment, you can uh, leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. You can tweet at us at TFT Podcast or uh, like the page on Facebook and uh, get involved in any of the discussions going on there. Uh, thanks again, Josh, for joining us. Uh, Josh is co-creator of Modern Seinfeld on Twitter and uh, a writer for last week tonight. And uh, you can follow him on his personal Twitter at Josh. 
Josh Gondelman. You'll find that link in the show notes. Um, it's 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 uh, hard, isn't it, to have so many Twitters? I'm mostly Twitter accounts at this point. Like the human <laughs> body is seventy percent Twitter, seventy percent water, minus seventy percent Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can promise one thing: it's uh, whether you're made up of of water and and body, or whether you're made up of Twitter accounts, or whether you are uh, like all of us should be the Black Messiah. Uh, it has been real. <laughs>